Hello and welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I am joined by Dominic Hauser. Dominic, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'll let you start by introducing yourself. Yeah, sure. I'm Dominic Hauser from Germany. I'm working in a small company. We build apps for other small businesses. We are just a very small company. We are in total, uh, I think, eight people. So it's really nice to work there. We are working completely remote, so it's nice to see them from time to time. But most of the time, we just work from from home and chat via Slack and and that stuff. How long have you been with that company? Uh, it's now two and a half years. Oh, okay. So yeah, I would assume with with COVID, yeah, you've probably yeah. been remote the whole time. So we we have been remote before COVID. Right. This is just um, the company had problems to get people working for for them because they are in a small town near from where, where I live and there are only a few iOS developers and Android developers. So my boss just searched for people working for this company all over Germany. So we have some people in Berlin, some in, in the Schwarzwald, Black Forest. And so that's just uh, the company, how it works. And gotcha. um, we, we didn't have to change when COVID hit. So my understanding is you started off as a physicist before you got into iOS development. Yeah, I, I studied physics. And after my physics studies, uh, I, I even did a PhD. But in the PhD, while I was preparing my PhD, I just realized I'm not a good scientist. I just, it, it, it was enough to get the PhD done, but it wasn't a good PhD. Just got the title and all that stuff. But um, during that time or afterwards, I taught at the university in Osnabrück and I wanted to have an app for uh, physics formulas. And I searched the, the, the app store. It was 2008, I guess. And there was none that was really usable. So what do we do? We build it ourselves. And I started to learn Objective-C back, at, back then and built my first app. And this led, a few years later, led to my first job as an iOS developer. And from then on, I only did iOS development. So I'm really happy to have you on. We're talking about a subject today that I think a lot of people uh, want to deep dive into. You run the website xcode.tips, correct? Yes. What made you specifically interested in Xcode itself and that tool set? So I, I read the book Pragmatic Programmers. And one of the tips in this book is learn your tools. So get used to one tool, um, learn it from inside out and get used to it. And I choose, as an iOS developer, yes, you have to choose between Xcode and AppCode. I think these are the only options right now. And I used Xcode because, yeah, you start with Xcode and it's free and Apple introduced new features into Xcode and the other competitors have to, to, to build this. For example, if you wanted to build something with storyboards, you had to use Xcode for a long time because AppCode couldn't manage storyboards. I don't know if it can now. But so it was easier to, to do it with Xcode. And at some time, I realized there are many hidden features in Xcode that I just discovered or read blog posts about them. And then I started to dig into Xcode and try to figure out as much as I can about it. And uh, a few months ago, I started this website because I wanted to have something where I can explain 
useful tips, useful tricks in Xcode without writing much about it, just one picture. And this is also kind of a challenge for me because for some of those tips, it's hard to get it done in just one page and only with drawings without any any words. And this is this is kind of fun to to think about how can I transport this information that I want to give in this tip. And this is how I started this this website. Gotcha. So maybe before we really get into Xcode and some of the tips and tricks people are interested in, maybe you can kind of explain the history of Xcode and why it is the way it is. Yeah, sure. So Xcode started as Project Builder at Next. So they built an IDE where they also introduced the Interface Builder. Um, there's also a, a video where Steve Jobs shows how to uh, drag and drop um, user interfaces with the Interface Builder. And when Apple bought Next, they used this, inter, this uh, Project Builder and yeah, build it into a tool to for the developers to build applications for for the Mac, for the Macintosh, and for um, OS X that was introduced then later on. And from the the Project Builder, they developed uh, Xcode. So Project Builder became uh, Xcode. And at the beginning of Xcode, Interface Builder was still a separate application. And in I guess Xcode four if I rem remember correctly, they introduced the Interface Builder back into Xcode, back into the Project Builder. And from then on, they developed more and more features into it. And then sometime they introduced Swift and then Xcode could build two different, you could write uh, iOS applications with two different languages. And they developed it further and further. And with the last release, we got um, the... Xcode Cloud built into Xcode. It's really a big tool. There's so many hidden parts of it, so many hidden features, and it's hard to 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 get to get an overview of of all those features that are built into it right now. Have you used other IDEs? What do you think are some of the like quirks with Xcode that make it different from other IDEs? I haven't used much uh, okay. IDEs. I have I have used AppCode for a bit. But it was too different for me to get used to it. So you have to you have to figure out. There, there are some other keyboard shortcuts. And what, what bugged me a lot about AppCode back then, I don't know how it's uh, today, is that it used so much energy because it was analyzing the, the code all the time in the background. And if you click okay. on, the, on the menu item of your, of your battery, you could see that the AppCode was always using a lot of energy because right, this is, right. this is one, one of those features app codes gives you as a developer it analyzes your code and gives you hints what you could do with the code what you might be want to introduce next for example all those features with refactoring they are they depend on analyzing all the the code you write all the time and this is also something what is missing from Xcode a bit is those capabilities helping the developer develop more developing what they want to do. So Xcode could learn a bit from AppCode and maybe in a way not using so much energy. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know Xcode definitely when you're doing Swift, it's analyzing your code constantly to like make sure autocomplete is set up right. I mean, I don't, 
Yeah, autocomplete. I, I'm old enough to remember when autocomplete wasn't around uh, yeah. in IDEs and how much of a godsend that it has been. But one of the, I think one of the most powerful things you could learn about, and I, I don't know if you have some ones that you think are best for people to know, but keyboard shortcuts are super powerful. You know, there, there's a whole group of Xcode developers who love getting to the extreme of like being being able to use it like they use Vim. But what are some keyboard shortcuts you really like to use when you're developing in Xcode? So this is this is also something I do from time to time. I switch off my trackpad to figure out how I can navigate in Xcode around without using the the, the, the trackpad. I think this is the first people should look into navigating between the different navigators, between the inspectors and in the different parts of the editor because there's always shortcuts where you can jump into these different parts of the, the Xcode window. Another thing I would say what is very important is to, to learn debugging. Debugging in, in all its glory, for, for, for example, view debugging or mem- memory debugging. Learn how to work with the, the debugger, LLDB, which is built into Xcode, because then you can figure out, we always introduce bugs into our, into our code. And the better you are with debugging, the, the sooner you find those bugs and the, the better you can figure out what's going on. And, and so this is also very important. It's not related to shortcuts that well, but it's still important to learn. Um, other shortcuts, I would say starting and stopping, building, um, running the tests, all those basic shortcuts you, you should should do without um, thinking about it. And with Xcode 13, if you the type of person who likes Vim, you can even activate Vim mode and can even further navigate through your code without leaving the, the keyboard. Hey folks, it's that time of the year again. Conferences are starting up. We already just had the announcement for WWDC. But there's one developer conference I have talked about. This is probably the third year. And that's 360 iDev. It's a fantastic conference that you should definitely check out. It's had guests that we've had on the show, like Joe Chaplinski, Ben Chatelaine. We've even had the organizer, John Wilker, on the show just talking about conferences and, and how they've gone uh, last year. It's a really good conference. I'm planning on going in person, regardless of whether I speak or not. And you should you should definitely do it too. They do have a remote option as well. And if you use the code Empower Apps, then you will get 20% off. So I highly recommend taking this opportunity right now. Go to 360iDev, get a ticket for the show as soon as you can. You get 20% off. It's in Denver or remote. It's up to you, whatever you want to do. There's going to be a great set of guests. I can guarantee that we've had some of those guests on folks like Ariel Michelli from app figures and folks like Joe Chaplinski, Ben Chatelaine and more. So take some time, go to 360 iDev and I am really looking forward. Let me know if you are going because I am really looking forward to seeing you there. Thanks. Before we dive into the UI, one that I've learned in the last year that I wish I'd known sooner was quickly open. Uh, what is, yeah, what's quickly open? Is it shift? It's yeah, command shift, shift O. Shift O. Yes. Yeah. 
I, my projects can get massive. And if I have to like navigate through the folders to try to find a specific file or even just using the filter, uh, which we'll get into a little bit, like command shift O is the fastest way to get to a file by far. And yeah, it's, it's definitely been, has been super powerful in, in, in helping me. Yeah. I have another one that is really help, helpful, I guess, is control and then a number, for example, six. With control six, you, you get a window for the items in the currently open file. And there you can type. It's a fuzzy search. So you, you, for example, you are in a large file and a large, in a large view control and you want to search where, I don't know, where a specific method is, is, is called. Yeah. Yeah, or a, a method is is defined. Then you can type control six, and t- can type just parts of the method. It's fuzzy search. You search, and when you click return, you jump directly to those to this method. So it's like open quickly, but inside a specific type or file. Yes, that's pretty awesome. There's also control five. There you search in the current in the uh, directory or folder of the current open file, and um, what is also very important for me is control one, where you can find the recent files. For example, if you're jumping around in your code a lot, then you can go to recent files with uh, control one and they jump back to files you have visited a few minutes ago, for example. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's jump into the UI and specifically talk how the interface works. What are the components of the interface of, of Xcode and how they're supposed to be used correctly? Yeah, sure. So there's, first of all, on the left side, there, there are the navigators, nine navigators um, for different aspects of working with code. The, the, the one I use the most is the, the project navigator where you have all your, all your files and the folders and assets and, and all, all the, the elements that, become your application and the next one um i don't use much it's i think the hierarchy or something and there are also for example the breakpoints there's a navigator for the breakpoints and a navigator for debugging and i even have behaviors set up in xcode you can set up behaviors that i jump to different navigators for example, when I start debugging, I jump to the debug navigator to see what's going on while I debug, for example, or also to see the debug gorges that are shown in the debug navigator. So this is the navigator part. Then there is the inspector part on the right side of the window. When you have something in the editor in the middle part of Xcode, um, in the inspector, you get context-sensitive information about this this thing you are working on. For example, when you have a storyboard open, you can in the inspector change the configuration of the element you just selected in the in the, in the storyboard or you can figure out where uh, um, where the file is located on your device and and all those inf- informations you need about something that is open in the in the editor. And then on the bottom part, you can show and hide the debugger or the debug information, the debug area, as it's called in Xcode. There's um, one part with variables and another part with the console. I use the variables part only very, most of the time I'm in the console because I, I can type 
LLDB commands, for example, the, the, the obvious everyone, I guess everyone knows this PO, print object, or I use it also to change something in the code when I want to, to figure something out. For example, I can replace values in my variables with LLDB. And then there are also some organizers, but this is a separate window. There, for example, you can choose the simulators or devices you want to use. You can activate wireless debugging where you don't have to plug in uh, the, the cable into your device to debug on it. And there's also parts that show up, windows that show up when you prepare an application for App Store or for test flight. So most of the time you're in the editor, the navigators and the um, inspectors. Schultz, I want to jump back and talk more about the debuggers and the console because that could be a really powerful tool for a lot of developers. What do you think most people don't know about when it when it comes? Because I, I know P and PO, right? But like, I am not super familiar with LLDB and how how really to use use some of the commands there. Yeah, what what I like, I, I do just a, f- a few weeks now, and I really like a lot. Is I, I have in, in the application I'm working on at, at at work right now, I have a line of code where I call an update method on my view controller, and this update method just sets up all those stuff that should be shown on the in the uh, in the uh, interface and in LLDB I have a breakpoint right at this point and in LLDB when the breakpoint is hit I call this method with something I want to test so I call you can in LLDB call code you can uh, execute code with the I think it's execute I just used the shortcut the e and then you, okay. you you put in the code that you want to execute. And for, for this example, I call E and then I up, call the update method with something I, I want to check if this is shown correctly in the interface. Or I used it when the server side wasn't finished for this part of the code to just introduce something I want to see on when I, want, when I, I develop the user interface and want to see how some parts of the user interface react on, on the data I put in there. And the server wasn't ready yet, so I couldn't check with the real data. I had to fake it with fake data. And I didn't want to put it into the code because then you can forget it and you can ship something to the customer and uh, he sees uh, the, the customer sees demo data shown in the application. And when you put in a, a breakpoint, the breakpoint is never shipped with the application. And this is something I, I, I like with LLDB, executing some code. What is interesting, but I don't use it a lot, is you can, when you stop at the breakpoint, you can move the execution point up in the code. So you can execute a, a line of code that has been executed, can execute it again. This can lead to some problems because sometimes the the yeah, the, the, the iOS expects a certain order of execution but sometimes it's good to just execute one line of code again to, to to change something about it and see what's going on and there's also if you want to learn more about this there are there is a, a fantastic session um from I, I guess it was wwdc 2018 i guess okay I, we will uh, link it in the, in the show notes. I will find it and then put it in there. This is a fantastic session where the 
the person, the Apple engineer shows how to debug an application without rerunning it again. It's a, a session of, I guess, half an hour. And, okay. and he changes everything and never reruns the application, just everything in LLDB. Now, this is some powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I never even realized that. That's amazing. One thing I wanted to ask before we get even more in depth, have you done any Swift UI in Xcode? Not much. I played around okay. with it a bit, but I, I, I think it's not finished for that kind of stuff I want to do with it. So I, I have to say I was a bit burned by the Swift evolution at the beginning. So I jumped okay. right into Swift when it was introduced. Okay. And then came Swift 3.2, I guess, and everything changed. And you have to, okay. you had to essentially rewrite uh, your code. No, not not exactly, but it was really... And, and this, this just hurt too much. So I want to... I want to to wait a bit for Swift UI to get uh, a bit better. Yeah, because you don't want to run into that same situation. I totally understand. Let's get into well, actually, let's answer the question from one of our audience members that posted. Choice Apple asked for Xcode 13 and iOS 15 combination. I always face making Apple Watch ready for development. Because of this issue, I need to turn off or unpair my Apple Watch to build my app on my iPhone. And they found this dealing with this issue in the Apple developer forum as well. So I've personally run into this issue. I'm actually an Apple watch app developer. So I personally have dealt with the, um, the troubles and problems of doing Apple watch development, which gets the whole issue of trying to do development wirelessly on a very underpowered device. But do you have any advice on that one yourself? when you've run into that in iOS? So I'm not really a watch, watch OS developer, but I just two days ago, I was searching in the, in the help of, of Xcode. Xcode has a help. You can click there and can search the different topic, topics. And I saw one tip there that you should switch to a 2.4 gigahertz network and so when you have a, a router that can, for example, provide you with two networks, uh, 2.4 right, right. five, and 5. In the 5, yeah. Yeah. Then you should put, you should activate a separate 2.4 gigahertz network and connect uh, your Apple Watch and your iOS device with this um, network. And this should in, in, increase the, the speed, how they, the, those two devices can interact with each other. I have no idea. Yeah, I, I saw this just in the, in the help minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I so I think the question here isn't even have anything to do with Apple Watch development. I think it's just if you're trying to do development on the iPhone and you have an Apple Watch paired, regardless of whether it's a watch app or an iPhone app, you get you get the message saying make an Apple Watch ready for development because it assumes that it needs to get the debugger symbols and things like that, right? So yeah, I think... Yeah, that's interesting about the 2.4. Cause so correct me if I'm wrong. Like if you hook up a new device to your Mac while you're developing on Xcode, it has to download like a bunch of like debug symbols. Is that correct? Is that how that works? Yes, I guess. I, I've I've seen this method okay. message in, in, in Xcode to preparing the device for right. Um, right. development. So I think that's what that's 
what it's probably trying to do, regardless of the fact that this isn't a watch app. So one issue I've run into, so just, just to answer the question, I think, yeah, turning off the watch would probably be good. I've also noticed, so the issue I've run into as an Apple Watch developer is that I won't be able to, it will either give me a message saying that the device is not paired, even though it is, it'll give me a, it'll say the OS is not supported, even though it obviously is stuff like that on Xcode. I've run into those issues before, or um, it'll even give me a message saying my watch is locked, even though it's not. What I've noticed is if I unlock the watch with the keypad, as opposed to with my, cause now you can unlock the watch using face ID on the iPhone. If I do it with the keypad, I have a much better success rate being able to actually debug on my watch than if I unlock my watch using Face ID. Because I've put in a feedback on the Apple Watch issue, and they said when they looked at the logs, oh, your Apple Watch is locked. I'm like, no, I know it's not. So I'm wondering if there's like some issue where it like doesn't properly unlock the Apple Watch for development when you use Face ID. I don't know. That's that's my recommendation uh, as far as that that particular issue, with Apple Watch development. What I guess what are some issues you've run into with iPhone development that you've found workarounds for? Oh, not really found workarounds for them. <laughs> what what I face a lot is also that Xcode tells me that the the iPhone is not unlocked. Uh, even if I'm just watching, just watching onto the screen, and it is unlocked. What I have to do a lot is to to um, close Xcode, reopen Xcode, maybe delete derived data, all that stuff that just comes to mind. But really, a workaround that always helps. I haven't found yet for this kind of problems. Reboot your iPhone. Like yeah, yeah I've done that as well. Yeah, for me, like unpairing the Apple Watch would not be worth the trouble because it takes forever to pair your apple watch or even to reset up your iphone like it's just not worth it to me yeah like you said rebooting devices restarting xcode usually is there a here this might seem like a dumb question but i'm gonna ask it anyway is there a particular brand of lightning cable that works best when you're debugging on your iphone uh in my experience the 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 cables the lightning cables provided by apple are better than Others I bought from from Amazon. So, for okay. example, I have a from Anchor. I have some cables, and they don't they they work less than the ones from Apple. And it's also better to go to Apple and say I, I even checked with your cables, and it doesn't work. So, yeah. But in my in my experience, those those are better than the other ones. Hey, folks! I want to let you know that I have a YouTube channel now. I have been posting episodes of Empower Apps on YouTube with actual real video of our interviews uncut completely there. And it's been a fantastic experience. And I think a big part of that is the service that I've been using, which is Riverside FM. If you want to do any live video shows or even recorded video shows as I do, Riverside is the perfect service to use. One of the things I've really liked about it is the quality of the video recording has been far superior to other services out there. And also, I don't have to upload video when I record. It all does it within the browser. All I have to do is use Chrome and just open up a session with my guest. I send them a link and I get going. And it's been a fantastic experience using Riverside. 
The quality of the video is great. It's really easy for my guests to use and I don't need to upload or do anything like that. And then once the recording is done and uploaded, using all the stuff within the browser itself, I don't have to do any of that manually. I can just download it and edit it. Or if I have to edit the audio, I can do that as well. So if you want to do any video stuff or you want to do a recorded show or you want to do a live show, I'm thinking at some point about maybe streaming some of these recordings as they actually happen. We'll see about that. I highly recommend checking out Riverside. Use the link in the show notes below. I have a special affiliate link. All you have to do, click on that link in the show notes. Let them know that that way they know that I sent you. Just give it a try. It's been fantastic for me. Click on the link in the show notes and let them know that I sent you. So let's get to the fun part and talk about what are some of your favorite third-party tools that help you work with Xcode? Yeah, for example, um, I have an Xcode extension that is a Sorcery Pro that is built by... don't think I can pronounce the name from out of my head. Um, but we'll link Christoph, to it anyway. So plus, yeah, sure. He just recently uh, had the blog post about injection. That's also a very good blog post, and we will link that too. And that's a tool that can generate code for you. And I only use it for one thing when I want to generate mock objects for my protocols. And um, I do a lot of test-driven development or testing. And there you need sometimes mock objects. And this is the tool I like the most because it doesn't generate them on when something is built with a build script or something, just with a click of a button. So I select the protocol for which I want to have a, a mock object and then click the button and it generates this code and puts it at the end of this currently open file and I copy it and generate a, um, um, a new class from that or a new uh, file. So this is some, this is one I use a lot. Yeah. So I'm familiar with sorcery. So sorcery is like the command line tool for building its co-generation essentially for Swift. And that's, that's fantastic. But this is, looks like sorcery pro is the paid extension for Xcode. It sounds like, which that's fantastic. Definitely, if you have a chance, check out Sorcery. It's it's amazing what it does. Yes, yeah. And I think there are, so, there are also some templates already built in. For example, this generation of the mock objects, but there are also other, other templates I don't use. I can't, I don't know. For, for some lenses, for example, I don't know what lenses are, so I don't use them. And I, I guess um, Sorcery Pro is also this, extension to Xcode and those templates. I don't know if software okay. itself comes with No, I don't think it comes with sure, any templates. Yeah. yeah. And you can build your own templates if you want. And that's uh, it's a great tool. And uh, another one I use a lot is SwiftGen. It's a tool, um, command line tool, where you generate, also generate code from your asset catalog, for example, or from your storyboards that you don't have to use strings when you reference images or colors but you can reference types and those types are generated by a command line tool and this is something i use a lot as well uh, because it helps to find bugs when you rename some some images or 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 something like that then you find bugs in this uh, in, in in this 
part of code. Um, when you use strings, you have no chance to find those bugs. You just see that the image is not shown in the UI and you have to figure out why. Those are the tools I use a lot. And then I build some scripts sometimes, but they are focused on, on the problem I have with the specific project I'm working on. For example, what I do a lot is I, I write scripts that execute requests to the API where I'm working on that I can see in the in the command line in the terminal the the answer from the from the server and then I can figure out what's going on if I have a, for example a, a coding problem with JSON or something like that then this is something I do a lot yeah have you ever worked with any what, what I've been really into lately is uh, project generators like Tuist and Xcode Gen, those have been really powerful uh, third-party tools that I've used. To, I haven't uh, used them. Uh, yeah, they're amazing. Um, definitely check those out as far as like, basically they create the Xcode project for you and then you don't check in your Xcode project into your repository because you can just generate it every time. And I've found those to be really, really reliable because as you may know, Xcode project files are pretty uh, complex and um can be quite quite intimidating. Uh, but to get away from that and go with like a generator of some sort that uses YAML or Swift code is, is really helpful for me when I want to just have a consistent uh, repository of code, so to speak. So if you have to to fix a merge conflict in, in the Xcode project file, then you know how how <laughs> how it looks yes. like and how how hard it is to find the, the, the different parts and how they fit together. Yeah. It's it's slightly it's slightly easier than an interface file, uh, like a yeah. zip or a storyboard. But that isn't saying much. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. So in our last episode, we had Marco on and we talked about Swift packages. So that's been a big feature that's been added to Xcode. Kind of, what's your thoughts of, on using Swift packages for modularity? And what I mean by that, like breaking down your projects into smaller pieces, and also just like. Yeah, what are what are some tips and tricks, I guess, in using Swift packages in your project? Yeah, so Xcode is sometimes a bit yeah, strange when using Swift packages. It, it you, you sometimes have to re-download all and uh, throw away derived data to make it work again. But what I have done in the last project I worked on at, at, at my job is I broke the complete application into, I guess it's nine Swift packages. And uh, the application itself is just putting all that together. And I used the local local packages. So that those those packages are in in the Xcode project itself. It's not they are not fetched from a source control system. They're just in the project itself. And this works quite well. And apart from that, I'm a big fan of Swift packages. I didn't use CocoaPods uh, a lot because I didn't like how it changed stuff that I don't understand. Right. Generated those Xcode workspace that I also didn't understand. And it was just a black box and I couldn't figure out what's going on. And Swift packages seems to be easier to understand. And also it's first party. So first party always gets more bug fixes. It's Apple. When Apple introduces something into Xcode, usually they really committed to it and um, make sure that everything works. So 
I'm a big fan of Swift packages, but right now I'm mostly working on them as a local package in the project itself. Yeah, and that's got to be a lot faster. Well, especially if you're doing local development, that makes a lot of sense. We talked in the last episode how I torture myself and use get some modules. But and that way I keep my packages in separate repos. But I, I think, yeah, I'm I'm a glutton for punishment, I guess. So that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> what are some other tips that you might have for teams out there? Uh like especially you're on a remote team, everybody's remote. I assume you all work on some repos together. What are some things that they should be taking advantage of in Xcode uh to make make managing that code base for their team a lot easier? Yeah, the the main part is they should talk to each other. So even if you work remote, you have to 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 communicate with each other. And we have regular meetings, just the developers to to talk about how we deal with stuff, how we set up those projects, what we learned from the last project, what we can make better on the next project, and all all that helps to to increase the productivity working with Xcode as a team. And I guess every team has to figure out what works for them best. Some might use CocoaPods or prefer CocoaPods because they have used them a lot um, over Swift packages. And this is something the, the team has to figure out. Um, what I had, I didn't have the chance to check out the pull request, into, pull request feature in Xcode yet. Xcode 13 got a feature where you can manage and figure out pull requests in the IDE itself. And I haven't figured out them right now. So I can't tell how good this is. But this is something, if it works, it should it should be really helpful to see in your IDE what's going on, to, to run the, the different stages of the pull request to figure out if, if something breaks. And, and I'm looking forward to, to use that, but we haven't used it yet in, in our projects. What also should help if it is finally introduced is Xcode Cloud, where you can formalize, so for example, you have you can start a workflow when uh, a pull request is started and then the person um, starting the, the, the pull request sees on Xcode Cloud if everything still works, if the tests are still running through and all that. So the main thing might be communication and Git hygiene. So you have to figure out how to work, how to work with Git as a as a um, a team, and then find your way. That's what I would say. Yeah, makes a lot of sense to me. Have you used a lot of Xcode Cloud over the last year? Only for small projects, and only for my. Uh, personal projects because we haven't my, my boss haven't put it himself on the waiting list it's not officially available right now you have to right it's still ask, a beta yeah and you have to ask xcode and they put you on a waiting list and sometimes you get the, the email that you can start working on it i find it quite well i for the small projects i used it for it was it worked really really well it, it was nice to to commit something into the Git repository and then you see in Xcode the um, progress running and you get the the email if everything works and you can even put something onto, onto test flight without even touching anything in test flight or in apps.connect. You just run it on Xcode and it 
straight goes to test flight and the tester get the emails. So this is really great. And I'm looking forward. I think we get the prices and availability um, at the WWDC this summer. And I'm really interested in the price because I guess it's not something for personal projects. It's more for uh, teams, larger teams, I guess. Right, right. Well, before we close out, you just mentioned WWDC. They just announced a date for it and stuff. What are what are some of the things you're looking forward to seeing, both in Xcode, but in general as well? Yeah. So in general, I would like to see improvements in Swift UI. For example, the navigation seems to be quite difficult to 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 manage. And I also like to have improvements in UIKit. I don't want to have UIKit be the second child. And the. I, I think they still have to work on UIKit because it's not going away soon. And for Xcode, <laughs> finally, the, the, the main thing I'm missing in Xcode right now is the dot command in Vim mode. If you're not familiar with Vim, yes, if you do something, it doesn't, matter anything just something that has to do with uh editing for example you put in a string and you want to put in the same string the next line you can use the dot command that's not supported by xcode right now and what what that would do for example let's say you want to rename some of those variables to have you can you could rename one of them and then use the the dot command to do it on all those other occasions where you put the, the cursor on and this is something I use a lot when using Vim in the in the terminal. And I'm realizing right now I just don't use it as much in the terminal right now in, in real Vim because I'm so used to Vim mode in Xcode that I just forget that the, the dot command is in, in, in Vim usually. So this is something I, I really miss. Apart from that, I would like to have less bugs in Xcode because it's sometimes just annoying how how often I see the spinner, the, the beach ball and all that. So I hope they do less features and more uh, bug fixes. Well, I'll just echo what Dagan said uh, regarding his question about Apple Watch development. But I, I wanted to improve greatly because <laughs> uh, Apple Watch development is super slow. So I'll just say yeah. that. Yeah, my fear is that there, there are rumors from time to time that they want to get rid of the lightning port of the the the, the, the yeah. iPhone. And my fear is that then the development, um, the iOS development, would be as painful as the watchOS development. Watch. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The, the it's not ready. It's just it's absolutely not ready for wireless uh, when it comes to development. So yeah, I'm kind of on on the same board with you. Anything else we should mention before we close out? No, I just want to to um, repeat, learn your tools. It doesn't matter what you choose, but learn your tools, truly figure out what's going on there because then you can really get, you can improve your productivity a lot by that. I agree 100%, uh, definitely. Dominic, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate having, having you on and talking about Xcode. Where can people find you online? I'm Das Dom, D A S D O M, at Twitter and all those other social media, GitHub and all that stuff. But from the from the Twitter account, you get to all those other sites, and you can also find me at the Xcode.tips, and there's also a link to my Twitter account. And yeah, 
Thank you so much. People can find me on Twitter at Leo G. Dion. My company is Bright Digit. Please take some time to subscribe and like if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you're listening to this podcast, please take some time to give me a positive review. If you have any topics you want us to cover, please let me know. Thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to talking to you again. Bye. Bye.